Well, good morning. Today we approach a, a serious question, an important question, a complicated and complex question. And I want to welcome all of you, especially those of you that are visiting with us today. I'm Rob Boo. I'm the senior pastor here at Wheaton Bible Church. I will be down in front following this service right over here, and I would love to greet you, especially if you are visiting with us today. I'd love to say hello, uh, learn a little about you. Before we begin, would you bow with me as we pray? Father, you are the great king, and you are the good king. And a good king causes your people to prosper, and thus, so do you. But we want to come to you this morning on behalf of those millions and millions of people that are not prospering, people that are suffering, people that are in harm's way, people that are facing a variety of different issues that are numbing and painful. We want to pray that you would bless and protect them. This morning, I want to pray that you would bless and protect the unborn, the infirm, the helpless, the sick, the vulnerable, that you will stem the tide of euthanasia, sex trafficking, War, sexual abuse, terrorism, slavery, racism, and abortion. In the Church of Jesus Christ today in the United States, we grieve that the state of New York has made full-term abortion legal, today, uh, legal to the day before a baby's birth. We pray, O oh God, for mercy and forgiveness that you would have mercy on our land, that you would forgive us for our devaluing life in the fullest sense of the term. We pray that you would show us how to be salt and light, how to stand against injustice. We plead that you would give us as believers in Jesus Christ, as a church of Jesus Christ, a winsome love, a courageous boldness, wisdom, that we might be part of stemming the tide of injustice. We pray that you would give our leaders, our political leaders, wisdom and discernment. We pray that they would stand for life. And Father, now as we turn to this difficult, this sobering subject of suffering and evil, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would open our eyes that we might hear from you. Amen. So we are in a series called Explore God. And we are joining actually over 900 churches throughout the Chicagoland area in addressing seven common questions people have about religion. And today, 
It's this question, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow evil? It's a question that I have wrestled with over and over throughout my life. I was born into a fracturing family. When I was late elementary school, my parents divorced. My dad was an alcoholic. Alcoholism is evil. My dad was never involved in my life. When I was 13, he died. I was basically raised by a single parent mother. Some years go by, I marry, and in year 26 of my marriage to my first wife, Carol, Carol is diagnosed with a brutal, aggressive, rare form of melanoma. And so we were flying back and forth all the time to N.D. Anderson Hospital in Houston because there was nowhere in Chicago that adequately addressed this particular form of cancer. That melanoma terrorized her body, wasted her body, and after 11 months, she died. And I found myself now as a single-parent dad with four kids. A little time goes by, and Rhonda Williams and I were married. Rhonda was here at Wheaton Bible Church for seven or eight years before I ever arrived on the scene. And while there were all sorts of things that brought us together, I want you to know that one of the things that brought us together is that we both had this mutual experience of losing our spouses to brutal cancers. And Rhonda's husband, Tom, just happened to be my best friend before he died. So I have four children, as I mentioned, Rhonda has three, and all of a sudden we merge these two families, and we have together seven adult children now in our blended family. Six are married, we have seven grandkids. But in all honesty, while a blended family life can be very beautiful and is beautiful, it can also be downright brutal at times as you're merging traditions, practices, and allegiances. And the first couple of years of our blended life, some years ago now, were really rough as we're all trying to figure out where we fit in. Just 14 months ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, prostate cancer. I had surgery, I'm cancer-free, I'm totally fine. But calling our adult children together, which we did one afternoon over Christmas, and telling them, and each of them had already lost a parent to cancer, that now I had cancer, a third parent, if you will, had cancer, was like dropping a hand grenade in the room. Suffering has been an unwelcome but reoccurring theme in my life. And so I have been forced over and over uh, to reconcile the goodness of God with death, evil, and suffering. 
And today, I want to help you do the same by wrestling with two questions. The first is this question, why does God allow this? Why is it among us? And then the second question, and I'm going to spend most of my time here this morning, is the question, what does Christianity say about how we should respond to personal pain, loss, and adversity? The first question of uh, why is a theoretical question. It's more abstract. The second question of how do we respond is more practical. The one focuses on the mind. The second focuses on the heart. And that's why I'm going to spend most of my time on this heart issue. So let's begin at the beginning. And let's wrestle with this question. Let's address it. And I'm only going to do it partially because I'm going to be brief here with why God allows suffering and evil. There are three main alternatives, only three really ways to answer this question. One way is to say evil exists and God doesn't. The other way is to say God exists and evil doesn't. The third is that God exists and evil exists. This is atheism. This is what we call pantheism. So in the Far East, it's Hinduism. Here in the West, it's Christian science. This is what we call theism or Christianity. Now the problem with this middle position, this second of the three alternatives, is it doesn't square with reality. I mean, ask a woman who's been physically abused if evil exists. Or a child who's just had a parent murdered. Or a a, a Christian in another part of the world facing uh, persecution. Or uh, a a Jew who lived through Nazi Germany. Ask them if evil exists. Uh, To say evil doesn't exist simply doesn't square with reality. Now this position, the position of atheism, answers the problem of suffering and evil by arguing that God doesn't exist. And the logic goes like this. If God is good, he would destroy evil. If God is powerful, he could destroy evil. But evil isn't destroyed, therefore... A good and powerful God doesn't exist. It can't be. Now this is based on a fundamental assumption that is erroneous. And it's the assumption that if evil, if God exists, I should say, then he would deal with evil by now. But Christianity says, wait a minute. And now here we move into the Christian position that addresses this issue. And it looks like this. If God is good, he will destroy evil. If God is powerful, 
He can destroy evil, yet evil isn't destroyed. Therefore, a day is coming when God will destroy evil. And the Bible tells us that's the final judgment at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now people to say, whoa, 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 people today say, whoa, whoa, that's too weird. But let's be careful about that. Because Jesus Christ has already come once. And he promises to come again. And one day he will destroy all evil. All sin. All suffering. Now that's all I really want to say about the answer to this first question. I'm going to say more as we move into the second question because I believe it's important that we learn that these truths that Christianity offers from our heart, that they take resonance in our heart. So let me move to this personal, practical, functional issue. How should you and I respond to personal pain, to personal evil? And to answer that, I want to go back in time. Actually, I want to go back 3,000 years to one of the darkest passages in the Old Testament. It's one of the darkest of all the Psalms. It's Psalm 88. And the reason it's so dark, as you will see as we read it, is the enormity of the pain expressed there, experienced there. But the reason we're looking at it today is because I believe not only is it full of darkness, but it's also wonderfully full of light. And it's wonderfully relevant because think of our world today. I mean, we live in this high-tech, highly affluent Western culture that is increasingly image-driven, Facebook-oriented, where it seems to us as we look around, as we see people's posts, everybody is perfect. And what's happening is, is that increasingly we have no categories for personal pain. And if you think I'm exaggerating, just look at what's going on among young adults. And so what I want to do in looking at this passage is help you see the categories and how we can respond. So would you stand with me as I read two portions of Psalm 88. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Now everything's okay until we begin verse 3. I am overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. 
You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Verse 13. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Darkness, not God. You may be seated. And I bet you're feeling a lot better, right? Kind of a touchy-feely psalm from the depths of hell, or at least the experience of hell. So what I want to do this morning is I want to draw three principles from this passage, and I want to make three applications. And the first principle is this. Psalm 88 teaches us that darkness can be overwhelming. The word overwhelming is used twice. In verse 3, the psalmist says, I am overwhelmed with trouble. But in verse 7, he turns it and points a finger at God, and he says, you have overwhelmed me with your waves of trouble. And in this psalm, what does he say? He says, I'm in the lowest pit. I'm near death. Um, I have been forgotten by you. You no longer care for me. And he goes on and on and on describing utter pain, utter agony. What Psalm 88 teaches us is that this pain is unbearable. It's also unexplainable. So in verse 14, he cries out, why do you reject me? He's saying to God, this makes no sense. It's irrational. The pain is unbearable, it's unexplainable, and it's unjustified. According to verse 1, this guy was a man who believed in God. He believed deeply in God. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Now this may surprise you, especially if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, like I was for a long time. But the Bible is full of this. It's full of suffering and pain and evil. The, uh, the suffering of those that don't believe in God and, and uh, uh, the suffering of those who do believe in God, who cherish God and, and love God. I mean, this is the, the story of the famous Old Testament book of Job. It was the experience of the great Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. It was certainly the experience of none other than Jesus Christ. Now, it's not because the Bible is morbid. It's but because the Bible is realistic. You see, the Bible is one story with one hero. 
And the hero is Jesus Christ. But the one story has four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now creation answers a question of how did life come to exist? Where do we come from? How did history begin? But the fall, the fall of Adam and Eve in uh, the Garden of Eden uh, answers the question, uh, addresses the question, what went wrong? Why is all this taking place? Why can darkness be so overwhelming? The redemption of God, the third part of the story, the redemption of God in Jesus Christ asks, addresses the question, what can we do to change? What's the way out? And then finally, the last part of the story in the Bible, the story of restoration, uh, addresses the question, where is all of human history headed? What is the purpose? Where are we going? Now I say all of that to say that this psalm, Psalm 88, and all the passages in the Bible that deal with suffering and pain and evil and loss and death reflect the consequences of part two, the fall. Psalm 88 is telling us something is very wrong with the human experience and the darkness can be overwhelming. So let me go on and let, let me make an application. The takeaway is that you and I should never be surprised in little irritations, medium-sized, and, and occasionally those big things. Now, we hate it, but we're not surprised. So we don't, and this is the point, we don't minimize it, uh, we don't deny it. I mean, after all, Heman shared his personal story about the depths of his pain with millions and millions of people. He didn't stuff it. He didn't pretend it doesn't exist. He didn't live authentically. Man, here a man, a grown man, is being completely real, completely authentic. And it's the result of part two, the fall. So another way to put this is that God loves you so much. God loves me so much. He has given us this psalm. Not to discourage us, but to prepare us. So when we experience suffering, when we experience pain, when we feel like we're overwhelmed, we won't come unglued. But we'll understand that it's a normal and necessary part of the human experience because of the fall. Now let me go on. Let me go on to a second principle that we see here. Darkness can last a long time. I mean, if you have a Bible, look at verse 15. 
uh, in, in verse 15, what does Heman, the author of this psalm, say? But from my youth, I have suffered and I've been close, 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 this close to death. Now others point out, I think this is so very helpful here, that there are two types of darkness, outside and inside, external and internal darkness. What was Heman's uh, in external darkness? Well, apparently he was close to death. Perhaps he had a chronic disease. One of my heroes here at Wheaton Bible Church is a guy you don't see very much because he's so sick. His name is Dave Williams. He has been battling cancers for over 40 years since he was a teenager. Maybe that was the experience of Heman. And maybe he had an incurable disease. We don't know. We do know he lost all his friends. We do know that he was trashed on Facebook, right? His neighbors. Now, what was the internal darkness? The internal darkness was unspeakable discouragement, despair. He had lost the sense of the presence of God, the protection of God, uh, the, the, the comfort of God. He had no sense, no semblance of peace and joy and contentment in his heart. Heman wants to believe God works all things together for good, but he can't. Because not only is it overwhelming, it can last a long time. A long time. Now hear me in this. If you have external darkness, maybe it's a family crisis, a health crisis, a, you've lost your job, or uh, hundreds of other different things that pop up and grab a hold of you, and suddenly uh, uh, the carpets of the rug's been pulled out from under you, and, and you're crashing. If you have those circumstantial, situational uh, kinds of darkness, but you have internal peace, you'll be okay. But if you have both external darkness and internal darkness, uh, you won't. Your experience will be hemans. And by the way, this is why certain types of uh, depression can be so complicated because there's an external and, and a significant internal uh, uh, component involved. You can do everything right and everything can go wrong. And it can last for a long time. Now, do you see why this matters? Do you see how this can be so extraordinarily helpful? It matters because it clarifies our expectations. And so this is the application point. Clarify your expectations about life. Especially those of you that are Christians. I mean, think about this. Think about the darkness here. The reason you want to clarify your expectations 
is because it determines how you respond to life. Unrealistic expectations have a way of distorting life. This happens to me all the time relative to movies. You know, you look up a movie and it's 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Or you've had two friends come to you and say, you know, this is the best movie I've ever seen since Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And what happens? I go in and my expectations are unrealistic and I'm inevitably disappointed. I will never forget uh, this happened to me a couple months. I, I can still vividly see this. It happened to me a couple months after I became a Christian. I was 19 years old. I was home for the summer, and I was cutting the grass, or I wanted to cut the grass, but our lawnmower wouldn't start. And it was boiling out, and I was sweating, and I'm not very mechanical, but I knew you pull this cord, and the baby's supposed to start, and it wouldn't start. And I want to tell you, I had this sweet vision of going into the garage and getting a sledgehammer and sending the lawnmower into eternity. But then, things really got bad. Because I looked, I looked across the street, and there was, let's call him Theodore. And Theodore was cutting his grass, and Theodore's lawnmower worked. And Theodore didn't go to church. Theodore was holding a beer. And I'm sure he didn't recycle And I remember thinking, God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be a Christian whose lawnmower wouldn't start. And then all of a sudden, um, I got a little clarity and I thought, oops, no, think about that, Rob. And it was as if God said to me, yes, Rob. You did sign up for this. Sometimes you'll get a flat tire. Sometimes the bottom will drop out. That's the title of my book on my whole experience with suffering. Sometimes your lawnmower won't start. You see, the problem with our pain isn't just the pain. Our problem is our unrealistic expectations as we navigate it. And then when we compare ourselves to Theodore or the people around us or what's happening on Facebook, it sends us into a nosedive because our expectations are out of whack. And it's an expectations thing, not just a, 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 a suffering thing. God gave you this psalm uh, uh, to make you wiser so that you might know that uh, the moment uh, adversity strikes you, you are exactly where God wants you to be. I say that to myself over and over in little things, medium-sized things, uh, bigger things. Uh, oh, okay, God, you have me right here, right now, and this is exactly where you want me to be. And you know what it does? It changes my expectations. And my anger, my discontent diminishes. 
Let's go on. Principle number three. Darkness isn't just overwhelming. It doesn't just last a long time. And here we're moving from the negative to the positive. Darkness is one of the main things in life that makes you great. We heard it near the end of the video. Now let me take you back to the Old Testament book of Job. The Old Testament book of Job is basically about Job's absolute frustration and bitterness toward God after God wipes him out. Family, wealth, possessions, health. And at the beginning of Job, in Job chapter 1, we have this famous scene where Satan taunts God and says, God, don't you get it? Don't you understand? The only reason Job serves you, the only reason he lives a righteous life, is because you have made him wealthy. Now, somebody else that I respect uh, commenting on this uh, said that conversation is a very serious and relevant conversation. Because Satan isn't just talking about Job, he's talking about you and me. And he's saying, you know, the only reason humans um, serve you or attempt to live for you is because of what they can get from you. They don't love you. They only love their, themselves and they use you, God. And so Satan adds, saying to God, will Job serve you for nothing? For nothing. And he goes on and he says to the living God, you take away his health, you take away his wealth, you take away his family, and he will curse you. Because no one serves God for nothing, especially in the darkness. And by the way, Satan is basically right. And it's part two, it's the fall. It's a human heart's enormous capacity for self-centeredness and sin. But here we come to Psalm 88. And this guy, Heman, is different. Just as Job, after he lost everything, was different. Because in spite of all his difficulty, this is a guy who is hanging. He's hanging in there with God. He's talking to God, even though God doesn't answer his prayers. Is he mad? Is he discouraged? Is he frustrated with God? Absolutely. But he stays with God. Even when it doesn't pay. When it doesn't pay. And here's the rest of the story. God made Heman great. In two other Old Testament books, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, we are told this man, in spite of the darkness, became one of David, King David's wisest counselors. He became one of Israel's greatest musicians. 
and as a leader or as a part of the musical guild of Israel along with his associate Asaph, Heman either contributed to or, or composed a number of these psalms that we have among the 150 psalms. And many of them originally were songs, meaning that Heman has given us some of the greatest worship literature in human history. God made him great. Amazing. And it was all born in darkness, in pain. Now listen to me. There's a huge difference between feeling like you've been abandoned by God and being abandoned by God. Heman felt like he was abandoned by God, but God was making him great. So what's the application? Cling to God by faith. Grab a hold of God and never, never let him go. Uh, speaking per personally and honestly, this was the choice I had to face, I had to make over and over. Am I going to cling to God by faith in this, uh, in this difficulty or am I going to reject God and, and am I going to distance myself? Am I not going to pray? Am I going to shut down and am I going to give way to anger? And it's a choice each and every one of you make over and over throughout your life. And I chose to cling to God. And you know what God did? God grew me. In the latter stages of Carol, my first wife, cancer, as we were flying back and forth to Houston, I would wheel her through the airports in a wheelchair because she couldn't walk. And she had these chemo bags or chemo bag attached to her. And as people went by us really quickly, as they do in an airport, Carol would occasionally get bumped and wince in pain. And God was doing something in my life because I'm impatient and I'm hard driving. But wheeling your wife through an airport on a wheelchair changes you. And in some ways, it made me great. Not great as the world counts great. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about power. I'm not talking about prestige. But I became more empathetic, more sympathetic. I will never look at somebody in a wheelchair the same way. More compassionate. What's your wheelchair? God is using that to make you great on the inside. Now let me conclude and 
ask the question, when I say cling to God by faith, what exactly do I mean? What precisely do I mean? I mean cling to Jesus Christ. Come to and cling to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and the ruler of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the king of kings. He's fully God and he's fully man. And what makes this psalm so very interesting is that Heman's pain points to Jesus' pain. Heman in agony said to God, why do you reject me? Jesus Christ on the cross as he was bearing our sin, dying in our place as our substitute so that we might for find forgiveness, Set, cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heman didn't choose his suffering. Jesus Christ chose to bear our suffering. Heman felt abandoned by God, but he wasn't. Jesus Christ was totally, completely, absolutely abandoned by God as he bore, as he became the object of sin and bore the wrath of a holy God towards sin, dying on the cross. Why? Because God wants to forgive us. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is you absorbing the debt of another. They've hurt you. You take that hurt on your, yourself and you forgive them. You release them from that debt. Jesus Christ died on the cross to release us from the debt of our sin. So that the moment you and I believe and we say yes and we place our faith, we cling to God, we cling to Jesus, placing our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Jesus who was abandoned for us will never abandon us. And he forgives us, he adopts us into his family. And we become his children and he will never ever let us go. You know, when you and I go through the particular situations we go through, uh, we usually don't know what they mean. Uh, we can't get specific. And we can go through life and never know exactly what they mean, but we, according to Christianity, there is one thing we know that they don't mean. And that is that God doesn't love us because he sent his son to die for us. So if you've never done so, I want to invite you this cold, bitter, brutal morning to come to Jesus. Or if you're in the middle of something right now, I want to uh, encourage you to cling to Jesus and to look to him in his beauty and his power and his love. Will you pray with me? And so if God has been speaking to you and the Spirit, as we sung about earlier, is drawing you to Jesus, pray with me like this. Uh, Father, I thank you that Jesus died for my sins, my self-centeredness. 
And I ask you to fill my life with light. I have run away and I want to come home. I want to enter your family. I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Take me and make me new. And Father, for those of us that have done that, who walk with Jesus Christ because we believe in Jesus Christ, would you help us in this one of life's, if not life's most challenging area? Amen.